0: Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast, Game Week Edition, Week One. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. We're all on the pod Tuesday afternoon. We've observed part of Oregon's Tuesday practice. Uh, we've spoken with three players linebacker Jeffrey Bossa, offensive lineman Josh Connolly Jr., wide receiver Jeff uh, Troy Franklin. And then Monday night, Uh, Recording this Tuesday, Monday night, we got to speak with Dan Lanning for about 10-15 minutes uh, to preview week one of the football season, and let's start there. Good news on the injury front from Dan, Uh, kind of more forthcoming than I was expecting, Um, but nonetheless, good news there as a projected starter in our eyes is back practicing, which we were able to confirm Tuesday.
1: Yeah. Jackson Powers Johnson back at practice. This was a little bit concerning considering, as Matt said, I think everybody expects if healthy, he's the starting center. And guess what? He's healthy now, or at least he's healthy enough to take part in practice. Dan was, I believe, said yesterday that he had looked good in practice as well. Um, He had missed, I think, about two full weeks, the last two weeks of fall coming out of that first scrimmage. Um, So significant to have him back, obviously a a player of importance. And, And I think you know, we talked about the contingency plans that might be in place should he be unavailable of okay is marcus harper moving over is the true freshman ayapani poncho lalu moving over to start at center that seemed kind of kind of a, a little bit absurd to start a true freshman at center to open a season but i think fear not oregon's top center should be available it sounds like um there are question marks at other spots certainly about availabilities but that was a really positive one um and I guess, guys, do you want to run through? Do we want to have some reaction to this news, or do you want to run through some of the other injuries? How do we want to go ahead, I guess, and disseminate the information we have?
0: We can do Let's whatever. just go through
1: all of them.
2: Okay. yeah.
1: Uh, Dan also said that Nishad Strother would be a question in terms of whether he was available this weekend. We did not see Nishad at practice today. Um, he was also not at... Wednesday's practice of last week which is the last fall camp practice we were able to take in um that was that was his first absence and after one of the practices yeah after Wednesday last week I think we saw him walking with his arm in a sling but no other medical apparatus so keep that one in mind I'm gonna guess here if he's not practicing on the Tuesday probably isn't playing on a Saturday but I don't know maybe that'll prove wrong that probably pushes marcus harper who he'd been competing with that left guard into the starting lineup or at least guarantees that for the short term um the only other absences though this was good news were tavita Pame and tatum Tuyote, who are two true freshmen who've been out for several weeks themselves but they also brought back several guys that i think are important here to note uh, justin jacobs who had missed about a week or two He'd been kind of in and out all fall. I don't know if he's had cleats on really at all for camp, Jared. You could probably correct me. I don't think so, no. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, he was wearing trainers again, so we'll see what his availability looks like this weekend, but certainly good to see him back at practice. Um, Brandon Dorless and Keanu Ware-Hudson remain back with the team. They'd missed some significant time of camp. Um, and then I thought this was pretty surprising, but Josh Delgado, who we had not seen since, I think, last fall in an Oregon uniform at a practice – He suffered something, I think, right around the start of spring earlier this year. He was out there in cleats, was running around a little Mm -hmm. bit. I don't think you really expect him, regardless of his health availability, to be a big contributor. But I just thought it was kind of exciting to see a guy we hadn't seen around for close to a year doing things. and So that was encouraging. And then just two more, uh, Michael Wooten, Kamari Terrell, two young, uh, well, two freshmen and a true sophomore. A redshirt freshman and a true sophomore, I should say, Wooten being the redshirt. Uh, we're also back. We had not seen Kamari in about a week, and Wooten we hadn't seen um, since August 9th. So there's kind of the run-through. Um, Jared, what what stands out to you? What concerns you, I guess? What, 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 I guess, piques your interest from this?
2: I guess my interest is just that people are coming back. Uh, okay. It's good. It's a much more favorable, I guess, situation than it has been in years past in terms of uh, – Preseason injuries, where you you know lose a guy like you know last year they lose Popo and and fall camp and you know that was a big loss. Uh, to see JPJ come back is really big. Um, obviously, you know Portland State, which we'll preview later in the week. Like you know they're not not the best competition. It's certainly not Georgia like it was last year in Week One. So. Yeah, if, like, if he doesn't play week one, you really want him back in week two. Um, looks like he'll get the chance to play week one, which will be very beneficial for Oregon's offensive line as they build up their chemistry and their depth. Um, that's obviously the big takeaway. And Nishad, um not being there isn't necessarily a surprise because he wasn't there at the end of last week. Um, if he can't go week one, kind of is what it is. Um, he's a guy who's going to be competing for a starting job, but – you know there was no guarantee that he was going to be the starter anyways. It could have always just been Marcus Harper. So regardless, he is an incredibly important depth piece for this offensive line. Um but yeah, no, overall it's just good to see that there's the guys who had been out for, you know, however many practices they were are starting to come back slowly. Um I don't think we'll see Tavita maybe to Tatum as well for a little bit, but uh we'll see. We'll be out there for practices throughout the summer son- or excuse me throughout the season. So uh, yeah. Overall, just just good signs. Just good good depth, and uh, guys are coming back and are looking healthier.
0: Yeah, I hadn't hadn't clicked till Jared just said it, but it feels like for the first time in a couple years, Oregon's going into now. Knock on wood here, that Oregon's going into the season like relatively healthy. Like last year, there were some big blows taken before they'd even taken a snap of football, mm-hmm. and then that first game against Georgia guys went down with injuries. Um, So you go into a a week one and you're pretty much relatively healthy, which is a huge thing. I mean, you want to walk out, you know, but now the bigger thing is walking out of Portland state, especially that caliber of a game healthy. So you're, you're there for Texas tech, but it's always good. And it doesn't always happen that you exit fall camp with, you know, for the most part, To our knowledge, we haven't seen anybody where, like, yeah, he's definitely out for the year. Like, you could totally tell, like, he's done. He's not playing, or he's not playing until middle of October or early November. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. Strother. I don't know. But I mean, you don't want to speculate too much on it because it could be a two week thing. It could be a six week thing. We don't know. But um, for the most part, Oregon's healthy. And just a last thought there, to your point, Matt. Yeah, we haven't seen
1: anybody where the indication is like, this is a long time coming, you know, in terms of a return. Yeah. Um, you know, e- even, you know, Pame and, and Tuioti, who I guess we can say we've, we've seen kind of on crutches in the past. None of that right, right now, what we've seen. And, and certainly doesn't feel like there's anybody where like, Josh Delgado was probably the closest thing to a guy. I was thinking, oh, we won't see him until October. And yet he mm-hmm. popped up today. And and again, I'm not expecting him to make much of a contribution this year anyway. But at least look like he was closer to being available than I had really thought was even possible this time of year, considering how, how long he has been out.
0: Uh Moving towards on field type stuff. Um, we didn't get too much beyond the like execution. We want to play well um, comments from Oregon's players, you know, for our part, like, the guys that we spoke to on Tuesday, Connerly, Bossa, and Franklin, a lot of our questions were kind of geared towards either them personally or the position battles um, that they went through, whatnot. wasn't really previewing too much of Portland State, but Dan did give us some interesting stuff um, on on Portland State. Eric already has know the foe, um, some five players to know about, and one of those players is their quarterback who – you know, I'm sure Dan was being nice in some regard, but you also felt like some you know, genuine comments coming from him of, "Hey, he's really fast. He's really athletic, and for that level of a quarterback, he's pretty darn good."
1: Yeah, uh, his name's Dante, and I'm I'm not sure if I'll pronounce the last name perfectly, but Shashir, Um, Maybe we'll get a better. We'll see what Roxy says this weekend, I guess. But no, I, I think you know, going through kind of his career, and you only had one year starting. This is a true dual threat quarterback. He ran for almost 700 yards last year. He was the team's leading rusher. He also uh, was fairly successful through the air sometimes. Like I was looking at it. I'm trying to pull the story up here just so I have the exact splits, but in Portland State's four victories, I think he threw for, let me get, let me get the averages. I'm just pulling it up now. He threw for an average of 256 yards per game, 13 touchdowns through the air, five more on the ground, and just one interceptions in the four wins. That sounds really good. That sounds like a, a very competent quarterback. He's averaging like three touchdowns per game, only one interceptions at that time. But then seven losses, he's averaging 133 yards through the air, mm-hmm. six scores, seven picks. And the rushing totals also just completely you know, go through the floor. So a player against lesser competition has done very, very well. A player who, against the bigger schools, the better teams, like Washington last year, pretty abysmal. So I, I think you know that he's at least a player who's capable of doing some things, who has some of the physical traits. I guess the sense is how much of this actually is going to translate against what we yeah. think is a really improved Oregon defense. And I think we all hope the answer is not a lot. Um, but yeah, Dan was pretty complimentary. Troy Frank, or uh, I should say Jeffrey Bossa today was also pretty complimentary. Um, and I know one thing that stood out to the three of us and that brought up as we were kind of getting ready to jump on was, was just how they might test Oregon defensively in that mm-hmm. according to dan um portland state averaged like 12 yards depth of target per uh which is i don't know if that was I, i'm not sure That's i can't that count. counter that. yeah that sounds very long by the way i can't like counter that number but regardless he says they throw it down the field more than just about anybody you're going to see so they will be a team that, that will challenge oregon's defensive backs and we have to acknowledge like the strength of their team is their offense and the strength of their offense mm-hmm. is quarterback and wide receiver where they have three or four guys who are pretty darn good, including Darian Chase, who was like a yeah. top 150, top 200 recruit a couple of years ago, went to Nebraska, um, played really well in 21 at Portland State, missed last year with an Achilles tear, um, but is coming back and supposed to be a guy. So they've got some talent at on offense, at receiver, and, and maybe this is like a good early test to just mm-hmm. see Oregon at least match up with some, a team that – Wants to challenge areas of the field Oregon struggled the last year. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of what we got on, on the Portland State offense right now.
0: Uh, quarterback's last name is pronounced Sash or A. I looked it up on their game notes. Sash or A? Sash and then E R and then A Y. Sash that I, true? Would, I could
1: not have been less accurate if I had tried. That was not even close what I thought it was.
2: But okay, <laughs> now we know. That's okay. Happens. Um, the the depth of target stuff certainly adds up. I went on uh, PFF last night, which, you know, some people like it, some people don't. I think it's good Dan. for this type of stuff where, yeah, mm-hmm. Dan does not. Um, yeah, that's okay. I think it's good for this type of stuff because it shows like the depth of target and it shows like, uh, you know, where a lot of his throws, uh, Sacheray where a lot of his throws are going. Um, so just like a quick thing, like 20% of his pass attempts are deep balls, which means like 20 plus yards. Um, his passing grade overall was a 91.8. So that's pretty damn good. He's completing 37% of those throws, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, and honestly, from from the, the data that PFF has given us, like, it looks like they're a a fan of throwing the ball over the middle. So while some people may not like that and like uh, an offensive philosophy, like maybe wouldn't be my first pick to throw the ball over the middle where the most defenders are, but uh, Portland state loves to like, uh, let's see, nine, almost 10% of his total attempts are deep center. Almost 11% of his total attempts are intermediate center and 17% of his total attempts are short center. So, These are like clearly this is where they throw the ball at least last season was over the middle of the field Um, and with some pretty good success, Uh, you know, 16 to 27 over the middle of the field intermediate last year. So it's a 59 percent completion percentage, uh, 70 percent over the middle short and then 36 percent or excuse me, 46 percent over the middle deep, which compared to 36 and 25 percent left and right deep deep balls. You know, it's a clear, significant upgrade when they throw it over the middle. So that'll be um, a, an immediate test because that was a lot of the problems that Oregon faced mm-hmm. last season was their middle of the defense, specifically their linebackers, then their uh, inability to cover wide receivers or running backs or tight ends, whatever it may be. So um, that'll be an immediate test. The flip side of the argument, if you want to look towards a positive Oregon direction, is that uh, Sashiri will will not have the time. To throw yes. the ball deep over the center, um, and if he does, it's going to be while being hit, or it's going to be while being hurried. So it's not going to be a great pass. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, that offensive line last season was not great. Um, I have it. I have it up here. I think uh, Sachery took 17 sacks last season, 17 or 18. Uh, I don't have it up anymore. But yeah, not. Not, not exactly not ideal in in terms of if you're a quarterback. So and Oregon's off defensive line is clearly an upgrade between you know uh, anybody that Portland State played last year, except for Washington, who uh, it should probably be better of me to have those stats of what Washington did to them last year. So I'll, I'll go figure that out right now.
0: And that that goes to like what you guys just said of this should be the test. This is like the perfect game. This is an opponent you should beat. You should beat handedly, but they do something, at least offensively, at a, at a decent clip for their level of football, which is the FCS, that should give us some kind of an idea of, did you solve any of your weaknesses last season? Pass, pass defense and getting to the quarterback. Their offensive line wasn't very good. This should be an opportunity because their strength is throwing the ball downfield where we see Jordan Birch, we see Mace Funa, we see the defensive line generate that pass rush and get to the quarterback that's something that jeffrey Boss said they needed to do you know week one uh and then we should also see like is this secondary improved can they get off the football field i mean their third down conversions last season wasn't good it felt like opponents were like yes we got them right where we want them third and nine we can get a first down now uh that's felt like the idea of the you know the issue with the defense last season uh and what portland state's going to push the ball they're going to give some looks and we're going to see how, how good Oregon is, uh, defensively. Um, you know, we talked about USC on Monday of playing a game already. And people were, were joking about the defense online for, for USC. And it's because San Jose state was an outmatched opponent, but some of their strengths played right into what USC's weaknesses last season were. And we saw those same deals. And USC walked away with a dominating win. They won by 28. They scored 56 points. But if that's the kind of thing we're going to be looking for, at least I am, on, on Saturday against Portland State. Different competition, no doubt. But do we see that improvement? Do we see the quarterback get on his back? Do we see the offensive line collapse under the pressures? And do we see Oregon's secondary get off the field?
1: Jared, did you have uh, any of those Washington numbers you were trying to find there?
2: I do, I do. Uh, Washington actually had one, only one sack that game, but they did have 11 quarterback hurries um, and a true true pass sets. so like four wide or five wide, like clearly they're going to pass the ball and not like an eye formation. Um, they had dozens of opportunities, but eight hurries and then nine total uh, pass rushes, so – Pretty good efficiency from Washington, um, considering that Portland State's tackles last season. Their pass blocking grade for that game was ten point four, and get this, zero. Um, oh, yeah, no, not not necessarily great in their thirty-one uh, total opportunities. So uh, there is definitely an opportunity for Oregon to go and and rush the passer here. Um, but Sacchery, Sacchery, I can't I can't remember how to say it anymore, unfortunately. Um it's going to be an op. it's going to be a tough Array. yeah Sasharae gosh I've been I'm terrible uh, it's going to be you know if you're an Oregon fan you want that to be a long day for him and personally I think it will be
0: yeah if it's not it's not a good
2: thing
1: You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that was interesting looking through Portland State was the lack of all big sky returning players I think there were two players on the entire roster that were on the all big sky for a second or third team and we should note using the same logic I used earlier, where I said you know Oregon has a talented roster, but not a lot of guys in these teams. Portland State had some transfer portal additions. I know they've added a couple receivers. They added a guy who was a starter at San Jose State last year. I think they added a—I'm um, trying to remember the school—but from a bigger school, one of the running backs that they've added. So there's some there's some talent there. Same thing on the defensive line and in the secondary. They've gone and used the portal. But this is not a team where you go like, oh, here's their star guy, right? Like this guy was one of the two or three best players at his position in their conference last year. There's not a ton of that. Um, And we'll kind of see how some of that comes together from a talent perspective. I think we've all kind of said where we think this is at, Um, but we'll get a sense. And then I guess lastly, there's not a ton here on their defense. And I'm still kind of going to go through a deep dive. Maybe if I talk long enough, I can give Jared enough time to do his own research on Mm. PFF or whatnot. Uh, Um, I see. Yes. But, uh, you know, here's a quote from Dan, I guess, while we wait for Jared to find uh, some information. Defensively, there are some guys that run to the ball, play like the hairs on fire, and it's kind of an exotic scheme. It'll be interesting to see. I know they've had some changes in the staff-wise and how they manage things on that side. But you kind of have to prepare for everything you've seen on film there, Um, even previous schools that these coaches have been at to prepare for them. So, you know, you hear this every year, right, of like, oh, this team has had a change of defensive coordinator, which is the case here um and now they're running a little bit of a different scheme and there's just a little bit of an uncertainty of what exactly it'll look like so if we are to see any issues with this offense it might just be early on in the game getting used to exactly the looks that the vikings are giving because they sort of have that advantage that we thought oregon might have last year against georgia turns out it didn't play out that way Of being like hey we don't know exactly how dan's gonna run this defense turned out that wasn't much of an advantage in part because the school he was facing was where he had just called defense and a lot of that was probably similar but I, I am going to say, like, if, if there is a couple of hiccups early, some of that might just be to the fact that, like, hey, Oregon probably doesn't have the best scout on what Portland State wants to do, not because right. they haven't tried to do their due diligence, but because there isn't a ton of information with how so they're going to handle things.
0: Portland State replaced yeah. their D.C. last year by promoting two previous assistants to into a co-role, Colin Fry uh, <laughs> and Mark Rea. They now have – Co DC titles after having just one DC last year, and then they went out and added two more position coaches plus an analyst. So their defensive staff is like two new, two guys that are new running it, and then the coaches below them are all new too. So that's where that gives some context to the exotic and just pure like they don't really know what they're going to be doing.
2: I've got some stats. Later on, so. Me. These obviously are last year's stats, but they're losing E.J. Ani. I think that's how you pronounce it. A-N-E, who was clearly like their best defensive player last season. I think he finished the year, yeah, with seven sacks, two fumble recoveries, like 39 tackles. He was clearly like their best defensive lineman and also graded out as their best defensive player. Um, You know, in terms of like the guys who played the most amount of snaps, not not a lot of green on the board. Uh, which I guess you could say that's similar to Oregon's overall, but um, their leading tackler last year, Broderick Carroll. Uh, I think he's back this season. If my no, sorry, he's gone no, as he's, well. He's, so he's there's going to be uh, there's going to be some vacancies at the top. Um, this was not a great defensive unit last season, uh, other than Ani, who was like, like clearly their best pass rusher, but he was an interior guy, anyways. Um, it's going to be some opportunities for Portland State players to step up and kind of showcase themselves in this game against Oregon. Um, but if you're Oregon and you're Bowlegs and you're Will Stein, like this is a game where you're probably licking your chops, like getting ready to to take advantage of the of the vertical depth that you have a receiver and just kind of get guys going down the field and maybe um, you know use your full playbook, use your full library as how uh, Dan talked about it yesterday at his press conference. So not a whole lot here on a Portland state that kind of makes my, my eyes jump out of my head and like in the cartoons in terms of what to look for. But uh, I needed to go deeper than, than the three minutes I was given right here. So, I
0: don't know. <laughs> yeah, So We'll give you five. Let me give you two more minutes. I'm just kidding. Um, well, I can tell you something that makes you eye pop. They may have a, uh, one of the best, like all name guys on their oh. team. Uh, mm-hmm. Day, day bright is Day-day. a, Good one. Field corner, junior, for the team. Um so That's that's all I got from a time eating perspective, Jared.
1: Well, l- really, well, uh, okay.
0: no,
2: <laughs> no, you're good. I got, I really have nothing.
1: Yeah, the uh, I was just gonna pull up because I looked at this yesterday. I want to make sure I'm accurate. The, just their ranking in terms of all the Big Sky last year in some defensive categories, because that can provide a little bit of context. Like they were. Eighth in the Big Sky in total or scoring defense, they allowed thirty-seven points per game, which is not great. Uh, they were ninth in uh, total defense; they gave up four hundred and sixty yards per game, not great. They were more respectable against the run, seventh, one hundred and seventy yards per game. Uh, against the pass, not great, two hundred and eighty-eight yards per game. That was eleventh. So, just to kind of run through here, this was this was not a very good defense in the big sky last year and the point that we kind of made is jared is running through some of their top performers last year most of those guys aren't back so if this is a better unit it's because the replacements are better kind of like oregon but i think you could also argue like you probably don't expect this to be a defensive unit that stops much because they didn't do that much last year at the fcs level washington hung 52 on them Would you like
2: uh, Would you like the team stats from Washington that game? Because I thought I just looked that up because I thought that would be a good kind of barometer of what success looks like. like. Oregon and Washington had very similar offenses last year in terms of total yards per game and scoring. I think Washington was just a bit better than them by the end of the year, but I could. Those are two pretty good teams to compare. Uh, they hung, obviously, like Eric said, 52 points. They got 32 first downs, 617 total yards, 376 through the air, and 241 on the ground. And Washington was not yeah. a great rushing team last year. Um, so again, this will be a probably a good little confidence boost here for Oregon's offensive line in terms of replacing their four starters from a year ago. Um, that I think that 240 yard category should be and that was on 40th town so they're six yards of pop so uh, i think that should be a number that oregon kind of shoots for this game yeah.
0: that goes in line with what Lee said like how do you describe a clean game for you offensively and i think the first thing he said was dominate the run game and mm-hmm. that should open the door to exactly what you're talking about where i mean oregon was a better run team than washington and the idea should be that the ducks probably exceed that number All right. I think that's enough for this edition. Um, We'll speak with a couple more players on Wednesday, as well as Dan Lanning. Uh, And then our preview episode will come up on Thursday. Reminder, Um, might not be a guest, unfortunately, this week. We'll see. We'll see if we can find one. Um, Portland State does not have a beat reporter. Um, It's been a little difficult tracking down an FCS school, but those are the breaks that we get when you play an opponent of this caliber during the season. Um, But until the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.